Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Dead and Married, where we discuss your favorite horror films and maybe some you've never heard of. My name's Ashley, and it stinks like a dead whore out here. I'm Travis. Screw you. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking the 2007 anthology cult classic, Trick or Treat. That's right, Jim. <laughs> Haven't done that one in a while. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to hand it off. <laughs> so this may be, like, I, I know that it's... I mean, I call it a cult classic, but I know that it has garnered extreme popularity over the years. And somehow, for some reason, even though you can walk into any Spirit Halloween and see merch for days, it still feels like it doesn't come up in conversation enough. No, it's a good film. And I, I think had it been released when it was intended, it would have been a lot uh, faster, I think. I think it would have gotten to its its current status a lot more quickly. Um, I think it would have immediately become uh, probably a Halloween staple for people. I mean, I, th I think you know? it is. Um, yeah. yeah, but it would have happened in 2007 when it was made instead of 2010 yeah, when I'd... it came out on straight to video. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is, is it possibly one of the most popular direct to DVD? I think it probably things is. Things there are? Yeah. It's the most popular one I know of. Uh, let me see. Let me think of another one that's straight to DVD. Nope, this is the only one. Oh, okay. It's the only one I got. I didn't say independent film. I wasn't. <laughs> no. No, I'm just trying to think of another film okay, I that thought you I were, like that was straight to DVD, and I can't think of one. I thought you were being sarcastic, in which case I was thinking, oh, of course, Halloween. But Halloween was actually in theaters, so, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was getting... And movies uh, yeah. Movies that came out during COVID, I think, that came out theater at home or whatever, I don't think those count. Yeah. I don't think we can hold that <laughs> against them and call them a straight-to-video release. Right, yeah. But no, this, like I said, this is... You, you can go out any, you know, look at any horror merch and Sam's right there head and shoulders with some of our favorite titans of the genre. So I, I, I think that it is fair. I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I think it's fair to say that Sam is iconic now as a horror movie villain. I would agree. I don't know that he's necessarily, is he a villain? Well, really? okay, he's maybe not. Like a, a, he's like a harbinger, yeah, sort of. But I'm, I'm talking about in terms of your movie monsters, yeah. not necessarily a villain. But He's not a monster. He's a sweet boy. <laughs> So anyway, uh, can you remember the first time you watched this? No. I don't. I really can't either. I know that you and I probably got this on DVD when it came out thinking, oh, cool. It's like Anna Paquin and it looks really cool. And, you know, we were um, we were big True Blood fans, or at least I was at the time. So and um, saw this and we were like, well, that's cool. Let's check it out. But and then I remember us really enjoying it. But it also not being one that we necessarily watched all the time. This is not one that I keep in regular rotation. And I was trying to think earlier, like, why is that? You know, because every time I watch it, I like it. There are things I, I legitimately love about this movie. But for some reason, whenever I get into that mode of, you know, watching films more appropriate for the season this is not one that i think of first no maybe it's just because it's not one you grew up with possibly i think this is one that we were like where i was just insisting i don't want to watch the same one we've watched a million times yeah he's no fun didn't we find it on netflix or something like that no i'm i'm pretty sure we rented it <laughs> at a video rental when those were still a thing yeah maybe yeah maybe. we but probably yeah. rented it at hastings we saw it by accident i think is the point yeah well it's not one that we typically would have like you said picked out we would go and we would we would do our weekly thing of let's go pick out some movies and you were always big about let's pick out something we haven't watched before right. and for you you pick out films like you're picking out alcohol you're like what's the one with the coolest if it's got the coolest image on label it. <laughs> on it that's the one i'm gonna get and so yeah i think this was one you saw and you were like hey what what's this and 
yeah, I guess the rest is history, but I don't uh, overly have any, like, real nostalgia for it, and maybe that's more to your point. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we are not the only ones that watch this film and we're like, you know what, this is pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that must be the highest score that I've seen for a straight-to-video movie. Yeah, I mean, it's possible I've done the legwork on it, but... uh, That's really high for straight-to-DVD, I would think. Yeah, so, big Um, man, you want to roll the rest of that beautiful candy corn footage? started to say jelly bean, so it could stay bean. I was thinking you were going to (laughs) say bean footage. Yeah, well, I was going to go jelly bean, then I was like, "Eh, are jelly beans really a Halloween candy? No. By the way, everyone. I associate jelly beans with Easter for some reason. By the way, everyone. Happy spooky season. <laughs> Almost. Well, I guess it will no, be it by is. the time this comes out. Yes. Stop stepping on my stuff. It is spooky season. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, mistress. That's right. Don't you forget it. All right. So, moving right along. Um, normally, we talk about cast and crew, and this is sort of an anthology, but it's not like any anthology we've covered before. It's not creep show or anything like that where you've got your set stories. It's pretty nonlinear. So, I'm just going to cover the cast as a whole, and we may mention them as we move forward. So, Anna Paquin plays Lori. You know what? Even if I name them, it's not going to make any sense no, as we talk about this. No, it's really not. <laughs> so, it stars Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, Dylan Baker, uh, Quinn Lord plays Sam. Let's see. Brett Kelly, also known as Thurman Merman from Bad Santa. Yeah. And Leslie Bibb. Yeah. Yeah. She's Ricky Bobby's wife. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, Tim. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, this movie's, I don't know, I'm going to say it's hard to talk about, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't follow. All the all the stories are really woven together. Yeah. And yeah. I like that it tells five different stories. It's almost like watching Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They all, <clears throat> excuse me, they all intertwine so well that when you're watching one story, you can see the goings on of another story happening in the same scene. You know, it's kind of. Oh, it's 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 interesting. It's um, it's not a film that you typically see that in, but uh, Pulp Fiction's a good example. Yeah. So it it takes place. Each scene takes place at a different point on Halloween night. And just as an example, in the beginning, you see um, Leslie Bibb and her husband coming home, and you think, so this is the first story. Mm-hmm. But it's not the first story because as the movie goes on and you're introduced to other characters and other stories, you see Leslie Bibb and her husband in the background at points before where we start with them in the film. During and after. Like when yeah. they're at the parade, when they're walking home, when they get to their house. But you're seeing them from a completely different viewpoint. And you see, I think, every character in the film from every story in that way mm-hmm. uh, at some point some earlier or later point in the night and I really like how they did that yeah I think it's cool so this movie was written and directed by Michael Doherty um, yeah there was somebody else involved <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, Brian Singer produced it. So yeah, these these yeah, guys are kind of known for uh, their work in the X Men series, and Brian Singer is known for some other stuff. But we won't yeah. go there. Well, Doherty <laughs> allegedly uh, Doherty was the writer for Krampus and Superman Returns and X Two. Yeah. So yeah. So kind of, kind of a there for a minute. Kind of a big bigger deal. So yeah. this Except is one Superman that, Returns. This is probably my favorite thing he's ever done. I mean, I I am a fan of those early X Men films. Um, but this is probably my favorite thing he's ever done. And I kind of hope that at some point he goes back and revisits this because I think that with a story as broad as Halloween, I think there's still a lot of ground you can cover on this subject. And so it would be nice, neat, nice. It would be neat to see this come up again. I just think it's, it's very rich in what you can do with it. Yeah. Especially the, f- the character, Sam. And the film covers a lot of 
you know, respect for the holiday. Mm-hmm. And um, each story sort of represents the stage of life, you know, when you experience Halloween. I know you're going to talk about that later, and they'll look at me that way. <laughs> um, he copied my homework. I did not. <laughs> I told you about that. Anyway. Um but none of it's, since they were all different stories, nothing's closed off for Sam. So you could do plenty of sequels. Like mm-hmm. you were talking about, Halloween is fertile ground for stories. Yeah. And since you didn't kill, I guess you'd call him the antagonist, there was no resolution for him. He didn't get shot six times. <laughs> so there's no reason for him to not come back. Well, it's like you were talking about about him being a, a harbinger. He's he's a symbol of the of the season or the ho- or the holiday. So it's it's like I don't know with him being this entity and undying essentially. Yeah, he's like death itself, right, I guess. Right. And that leaves room for him to continue to come back, which makes it all the more disappointing that John Carpenter's original vision of turning Halloween into an anthology film series didn't get to be, you know, didn't get to come to fruition. Right, right. Yeah, and you know everybody or I <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, kind of think of Sam as the antagonist in this, like he's the boogeyman. He's really not because he doesn't. He kills one person in the whole film, right? Does he kill anybody? He kills Leslie Bibb at the very beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. Duh. Spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the only person he actually kills in the whole film. Right. Every other death in the film is caused by someone else. Yeah. So he's got to be the least prolific boogeyman or boogeyman mm-hmm. that I've seen so far. Well, and he's just adorable. So how can he you be is. afraid of something so adorable? He is. <laughs> and I think uh, I think it's brilliant casting a. Child child for that part because I and while I am aware that they did cast a, a a smaller person you know to do other scenes I think you can tell that it is physically a child and I don't mean from the fact that he's short but the way children walk is different the way adults walk I thought that at the very end um, after he has his altercation with Brian Cox and he gets his candy bar and he turns around and he's walking away eating that candy bar I'm like he's walking like Gage in Pet Cemetery. yeah I was thinking like you can tell it's a child. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't help that his outfit it is basically footy pajamas. Right. So it made me think of our own children and that kind of, you know, shuffle off. And I thought there's just something a kid can bring to that that I don't know that any actor who says I can interpret and mimic what a child does. I don't think you can replicate it with an adult. It Not just, like that. It just has a flavor about it, and I, I was really appreciative of that. Yeah. And, and down to the audio that they're using a child's breathing and giggling and screaming and grunting, I just I think it works so brilliant that they, they cast a child for that I, part. I agree. Um, but now they did actually have an eight-year-old stunt person for this did, role. Wow. They did they did. have eight-year-old stunt people? They had people? an eight-year-old stunt person, and there was a, a lady that did stunts as well. Because there's one scene um, when he's having sort of the final showdown with Krieg at the end, where Krieg's at the window trying to get, uh, uh, what's his name? Get, get the neighbor's attention. Yeah. And you see him get tackled from the side. Mm-hmm. Clearly that's an adult. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's what they. So what it says is that they had a. There was a female stunt person and an eight-year-old stunt person. And why did we never put Aiden into a part like this? I feel like we should have. Done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. As the stunt person. Um. So how do you feel about the story, the main overarching story overall? Because, like you said, it's it's kind of hard to pick out four because of the way the story flows. So it's hard to pick them out as four individual stories. So how do you feel about what it has to say, start to finish? So I I really I, I like it. I like the whole thing. Um. I I like that. I feel. 
I think every story was pretty well developed, even though it was interwoven with every other story. Mm-hmm. I feel like the characters were well introduced, and they don't spend a ton of time with each person, but you get enough to kind of figure out who each person is. Like Anna Paquin's character, so she's she's supposed to be the innocent one, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of, that moment where she's walking alone right before she gets attacked, um, you're like, ah, I hope they don't get her. You know, you don't get like a major, <clears throat> excuse me, emotional attachment to these folks. But there's enough character development that you kind of care what happens about them. Right. And they do it in a really short period of time. And I, I appreciate that. I, I love how they tied all the stories together into just one big mess. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, even because with all of these things going on, it doesn't feel convoluted It either. really doesn't. No, it doesn't. Uh, it, I know I compared it to Pulp Fiction earlier, but unlike Pulp Fiction, at no point during this film do you go, what the fuck is going on? You know? You do that in Pulp Fiction? I did the first time I watched it. Okay. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> um yeah, because I'd never seen anything like that before. Uh-huh. So I wasn't prepared for it when it, it, it suddenly like shifts gears and it's completely different people on screen. I'm like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was really well handled here. Um, I think the stories were... Sam is original. He's an original boogeyman. And I feel like the, the stories themselves were pretty creative. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily a bunch of stuff you'd seen before. It wasn't really recycled. Um the only one that I would say has probably been done before, but it hasn't been done this way, is the one with uh, Anna Paquin in it. Because it's a werewolf, but you've never seen werewolves like that before. Right, Where yeah. they're having like an initiation or a, sort of a coming of age type ceremony is what it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And they were all female, which right. was new. So even though it was a sort of a familiar device, it was used in a different way. Yeah. So I, I feel like the story was very well handled. Your turn. <laughs> You're looking at me like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> No, <laughs> I I agree with everything that you said. And I think that this story, the reason it works as well as it does is because you have a person who has a genuine affection for the season. That everything from the aesthetic to the little nuances about the holiday, I don't think you could have done that with someone who didn't have an appreciation for it. And I think that it's written all over, you know, I'm down to, you know, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, you know, because all of us grew up watching that every year, you know, and it's, it's those little things. And, and yeah, I know you said that you felt like the little red riding hood trope hadn't been done before, but there was another one that I feel like just exploring those tropes of, of like, for instance, you know, all of our lives we're we're grown up still checking our, our children's candy, but because of the whole, you know, urban legend thing. Yeah. And I, even though we had a scene in Halloween too, where there was a boy in the ER because he had had a, a razor blade in his apple or whatever, I still don't feel like this was something that ever really got explored in this way. So to see it really happen to somebody as gross as it is, because for me, I have a pretty strong stomach, but even this, I can't watch it. Every time this scene hap- the scene happens with uh, Dylan Baker and um, Wooden Pickle Kid. Thurman Merman. Yes. Um, it makes me gag. Like literally every time. And I mean, I'm a person that can sit and watch the Saw series on repeat. So every, but vomit, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> no. And you'd picked out some stuff where they had, and I, I think it was pretty clever how they worked in references from John Carpenter and Stephen King. Uh, I don't know that it's anything that's unknown to any diehard horror fan, but this was the first time that I really sat down and paid attention to it. And so I noticed those, those things and I'm going, holy shit. Like, how come I never saw this before? And you know, like, um, Oh, principal Wilkins, son. I don't, did they say his name? Connor. 
Charlie? Charlie. It's Charlie. I feel like it's Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. Um, about him wearing this outfit that looks very identical to Chucky's outfit and red hair. And I had never noticed that until we had watched it this week. And I was like, I feel like a dumbass. <laughs> like, how come I never noticed this before? Well, his name's Charlie. Charles Lee Ray. Oh, Chucky. wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just turn in my horror card now. <laughs> and then, of course, Anna Paquin being named Lori, Lori Strode. And then um, Brian Cox's Mr. Krieg being named and made to not be named being made to look like John Carpenter I don't see that necessarily I don't think you can put a long wig on somebody and go boom you're John Carpenter I think no. there, it's a little bit more involved than that but um the scene also of the little of Sam's little hand crawling backwards away and him saying you got to be fucking kidding a chef's kiss because I had never put that together before so because that was from the thing right yeah um so I'm glad that I kind of opened it with or watched it with open eyes now because before I was just watching it oh yeah it's this cool movie and Sam oh he's cute and then this time going through and really studying it for the show I was going through and I'm like, okay, this, like I said, this person has a genuine affection for all things horror, all things Samhain. You know, it's, it's just, I really, really appreciated it. And I'm kind of disappointed that I, I didn't notice the care that went into it before. Yeah. He even worked Stephen King in there. Yeah. Because at one point you get to see uh, Christine, the car from, or Christine, the car. Yeah. In and one shot. Um, you, I told you you were stealing from my homework, but it was another thing that I had thought of. I, I hadn't watched any reviews or special features uh, studying for this. Um, I kind of was trying to go more into what I'm noticing. So <laughs> I was sitting and I was taking notes about how I feel like this film encompasses the magic of the season so well. And then I started thinking about that in terms of, okay, we have a character literally from every phase of life. And now, and Travis is like, oh yeah, I told you that. And I'm like, okay, I, I didn't pay attention this time because I had thought I was being so clever in coming up with this on my own. And <laughs> here I am going, okay, so I'm really late to the party on this, but I'm glad now because I feel like it will enhance my viewing of it in the future. But yeah, I think that's really cool that you have the children and how the holiday is this magical, whimsical time of getting to dress up. And it's not necessarily that you have to dress up as something scary. You can you can be a princess, you can be a cowboy, you know, an astronaut, all of these things that you either aspire to be or the other side of it where, where I tend to lie is the spooky part of it and holding up those traditions and um, just the magic that comes with that. And then when you get to be, and we have our stories too, of getting to be young adults during Halloween. And, you know, where teenagers are, and younger adults are more about the sex and the partying and, and all of that aspect of it. And then when you, I haven't gotten here yet. Maybe Travis has. I don't, I don't know. I haven't gotten here yet, though, personally, about kind of getting into that older age where... All of the stuff that goes with it becomes tedious. You know, oh, I've got to have kids banging on my door. Oh, I've got to buy costumes. I've got to decorate. I'm not there yet because all of those things are still very much fun to me. But I can kind of understand why older people would get that way, particularly people who don't necessarily celebrate the holiday. So, yeah, I, I was very appreciative that it kind of sh showed all of those aspects of what Halloween means to you. So. Anyway. <laughs> very good very good so special effects what did you think about the special effects in this film 
Are we ready to move on to special effects? That's next on the list you've got on the wall up there. I know, but I don't feel like we've spent that much time on the story itself. Okay. So, of the of the four stories, which one do you think is your favorite? Which one did you enjoy uh, the most? I'm not going to say because you'll be like, of course it is. Which one do you think it is? Um, I don't know. Why don't you just tell me? <laughs> Werewolf Party. Okay. All right. And it's not even the whole story. It's just the that last part. I've just known people the, to say the bonfire that, part. I just know that some people have said to them it's the weakest of the four to really? them. Yeah, I don't know that the story is is awesome, but I mean, I, I think it's more the imagery of it. Yeah, you know, and and if you've seen it, there's not it's not stall boobs and stuff, and there's no sex mm-hmm. in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, which there, okay, that's something about the story that we can talk about. But I think that's probably my favorite segment. But it is. It's really just like the last two minutes of that of that segment. Yeah. And I because I, I love the transformations. And there's something about it. <clears throat> and it's not. They transform differently than any other werewolf I've ever yeah. seen. Mm-hmm. Because they don't just like burst out of their skin. It's like they're being degloved. Um, I where they're think... just peeling their like leg skin off like pantyhose. Yeah. And it's. Ugh. It's it's amazing, and we'll talk more about that during special effects. But, but I do think that there was another movie. The issue is we haven't seen it, but I think there's a movie called In the In Company of Wolves where they do something very similar, where the wolf bursts out of the skin yeah. and the skin is like a shell. Yeah. Don't don't quote me on that, but I feel like In Search of Darkness, this was a one that came up. Right, and, and I don't. Either I don't way, know it's not something one. you see very often. But yeah, that was just those transformations and this stuff was not something I'd ever seen before. I thought it was well done, so I think that's probably my favorite. How about you? Uh, I, I think I'm going to go with the school bus. Really? I thought that one was yeah. pretty mean-spirited. It is. Don't get me wrong, but I think um, it, aside from the things that I think are a little bit outdated and, like you said, mean-spirited, I think it's the one that I enjoy the aesthetic of the most. That's fair. Um, when you see, when you go back and you see those... And there's different holidays where they do this, where you, even in Easter, you can go back and see these old photographs of these makeshift Halloween costumes and Easter bunny costumes that look terrifying. Um, There's still something about it that you look at those and you think, I would hang that up in my house. Like, that looks really fucking neat. Um, which I know says a lot about me, but I enjoy so much more of that. And I think that it, it's the most accessible of the four stories. I think that it's one that if you took out some other uh, things in the film, this is one that I could see being something on Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark or, um, you know, those those children's horror sh- shows that we grew up with um, or a a Disney Halloween movie. You know, you've got all these kids that look like they belong in Nickelodeon or Disney shows, for starters, so that doesn't help. But you've got that tried and true trope of a, a child being outcast and the bullies getting their comeuppance. So for me, it captures more of that youth aspect from the film. And I think that's what makes it my yeah. favorite. Yeah. So while we're talking about the story, there was a scene, there's a scene at the very beginning of the film, and we both agreed that they could have done without it. Mm -hmm. And it's... Uh, I guess Leslie Bibb and her husband, she tells him, go upstairs and put on the video and I'll be up in a minute. The nature show. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it says nature show on the VHS tape that he pops in and it's porn. And they don't show a lot of it. There's just a clip, but it's it's a topless woman. Yeah. And we both were thinking that was unnecessary because 90% of the rest of this film could be watched by anyone. Yes. Yeah. And you, they didn't have to throw that in there. They could have just had the, the sound effects mm-hmm. and moved on. Or it could have been implied as an in-joke. 
right. for adults, you know. Right. But yeah, it just that, felt out of place. That, and, that's one of my bitches. It's it's an, it's a nitpick really because it. There is more stuff sexually laden throughout with uh, with Principal Wilkins and his vampire character and obviously the werewolves and stuff. Um, so it is sexually charged in certain scenes, but not as overtly there, yeah. I think. Well, in the werewolf, the transformation scene, there is, <clears throat> excuse me, there is one shot of uh, a woman with her, her shirt off. Yeah. And it's very fast. Yeah. So, so the rule but in our house. they could have left that one out too. And then there's no nudity in this film at all. So the rule in our house is, well, for me, that's fine. I don't even I care. Under, I understand. Um, I'm just saying that it, it, it didn't serve a purpose. Right. So the rule in our house is always, and, and me being someone who's in the medical profession and a, a lover of all things scientific, I don't have a problem with the human body. When there's someone nude, I mean, how many times have we seen Gordon Ramsay's ass this week? A lot. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with nudity. That's the human body. That's that's nature. That's the way we were, were made. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. My issue has always been sex. And I know somebody out there is saying, oh, you're one of those people that's like, oh, over the top violence is fine. Just as long as there's no sex. It's it's not that necessarily because I have a line with violence too with my children. If there's something that they're uncomfortable watching, like I'm, Aiden and I went to watch Saw X last night. Fucking awesome, by the way. Um, and when when there were scenes that Aiden was uncomfortable watching, he just didn't look, you know. And I'm, I'm not looking at him going, oh, you better, you know, I did do him clockwork orange style and peel his eyes open. You know, um, when he was uncomfortable looking, I let him turn away. I didn't take Isabel to see it for obvious reasons. And if there's films they don't want to watch, they're, they're not going to sit down and watch Hellraiser because... That's not their thing. I'm not going to force that on them. So it's not one of those, oh, sex is inherently worse than that. But at the same time, as being as sex positive as I am, it's just more of an uncomfortable thing for me. I don't want to be sitting and watching sex with my children. It's gross. It's weird. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm thinking is more to your point before that the, the school bus episode could have been goosebumps, you know, and that doesn't make it less scary. Oh, no, absolutely not. But you've got those two scenes. And here's the deal. I like boobs. <laughs> I don't have a problem with them at all. I'm a fan. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know. They, they took, a, they, by putting those in there, it could, it could turn people off to a film that otherwise doesn't really have anything else in it. And it doesn't make it less scary. And I, I don't know. I, I can't help but think maybe they did that so that they would maintain an R rating. Because maybe it if they didn't be. have those things, maybe it would become a, you know, Ernest Scared Stupid type of thing. Right. But I think you had that done in spades with some of the imagery and the gore and violence. Yeah. You still could have maintained, you know, and then there's a scene of a, what, a 12-year-old kid talking about a hot dog fucking a pig or whatever yeah so your r rating was already there without having to have some porn spliced in yeah. there tyler durden yes yeah, <laughs> i agree so how did you feel about the way it ended the film yeah overall yeah uh, it was fine i didn't i didn't have any any issue with it i mean it was open-ended so i like that uh usually i don't don't normally care for open-ended type of stuff i kind of like to have an ending unless it's intended to be something else but i feel like this one didn't really need anything else it's kind of like the first halloween you know it didn't need a sequel 
Um, and leaving it open-ended was fine. I feel like it worked pretty well for this one, too. Yeah. You? I liked the way it felt like they were kind of tying up the loose ends and showing, again, how all these people were intertwined throughout the night. When you're, after Krieg has gone through his ordeal, you kind of see, it, it's a to me, it's the perfect bookend to the movie. That it, it ends the same way it begins, you know, with the added, added, the added addition, <laughs> with the addition. Optional extras. <laughs> of... Of Krieg, you know, you think, oh, he's learned his lesson. You know, he's gone through this whole uh, Mr. Scrooge the night, so to speak. And you think that he's learned his lesson. He's handing out candy only to be met again at the door from the kids at the bus. By the spirits of Christmas past. <laughs> Halloween past. Yeah. Samhain past. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. So I, I like the way it ended. And then plus, you know, you get this kind of, and I don't know if it was... Uh, purposely in homage to Creepshow, the way they had that comic style at the opening titles and the end titles. I love that little bit of extra. You get to see what happens to him at the end. Yeah, so. I, don't know. I liked it. Yeah, and they were big fans of Carpenter and King, so it would make sense if that was a, a Creepshow reference. Carp, what did Carpenter have to? I don't know. <laughs> like that's Romero honey yeah it was <laughs> that too <laughs> him too yeah. all right now we can move on um I thought that the special effects were pretty damn great I mean because with the occasional exception here and there and I think that was primarily in the in the werewolf story everything was pretty much done practically like there's even some amazing shots and transitions here I know that goes off in uh, to more of cinematography thing, but um, but overall, I felt like the practical effects were were done brilliantly, and I appreciate that they went to that because I feel like in a story like this, and and there's people now like Damien Leone that are doing the same thing, where you take something like this, where it's just good old fashioned slapstick gore, and I know not everybody out there is a fan of gore, uh, but me being a big gore hound, it makes it that much more satisfying when the effects are practical. I, I love the look of Sam. I love his costume. Um, as a matter of fact, I love damn near every costume that is in this film. Uh, going back to the school bus story again, those are some really badass masks. And now I really, I'm obsessed with the idea of having them hung up in the house. Like yeah. the way people hang up tribal masks, that's the way I want to hang those up. Right. <clears throat> Put those next to the silver shamrock masks. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they did really well. I mean, obviously the uh, the werewolf transformation scene is kind of the the main event, I guess, in terms of effects. But they they were all done well. Um, even the first the first kill, I guess, where you see uh, Leslie Bibb with the no oh. Leslie Bibb with the uh, the sucker, the, the lollipop stuffed in her mouth. Yeah, it looked good. Um, I really don't have any rocks to throw at it. I know. That during the werewolf scene, they did say that they augmented or enhanced some of it with CGI. And I think that was mostly the face face effects during the mm -hmm. transformation scene, like the eyes and that sort of thing. And I'm really glad that they used it sparingly because those effects really did stand out right. when they were using them. Mm -hmm. um, and Doherty was right. A lot of, especially then, they were going, they, CGI was, I guess, a, a shiny new toy and everybody was using it. Let's be honest, it wasn't that good. So that the that just that it would have been I guess the lazy way out, maybe, mm -hmm. to just CGI everything. Right. And I appreciate that they didn't. And I'm sure CGI is not easy, so saying the lazy way out is probably not very nice. Oh, no, I feel like it is. I feel I'm like... I'm sure it's difficult. There's more skill involved in practical effects well, now. I don't know. I think it's a different, different type of skill. Yeah. Um, but on screen, practical effects almost always look better than CGI effects. So. Yeah, because um, going back to, to Sam... 
his look once he's unmasked is great i i think he looked terrific um what else let's see um uh, yeah the vomit gag at the beginning that was that looked too realistic like it was done so well that like i said it that was the one scene that kind of made me somewhat queasy i can't i don't watch that part in the beginning i, I, I find something I, else to do yeah i try not to because it's like oh god <laughs> yeah but um no, I, I feel like everything was so, so well done. I can't, you know, the little zombie kids at the end, everything was just so well done. I, I absolutely adored everything that they put into it. So what did you think about how when Sam gets shot and when his hand comes off, <laughs> instead of instead of having blood, it's pumpkin guts? I love that. I, think I, that was I actually cool. have that in my notes, but for some reason I forgot to talk about it. Um, yeah, I thought it was really neat that they did that instead of trying to do some kind of blood or Yeah, or it's, it's, it's a neat little detail. I, so when, I, the, hand, when yeah. the hand's doing the Adams Family, the thing impersonation running across the, the room, it's dragging mm-hmm. pumpkin entrails behind it. Right. So... Neat, neat choice. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's all, it was all very well done. Again, it just goes back to talking about how extra care went into this. Yep. So, acting. I thought the, not every performance, but for the most part, I thought the performances were really done. To me, the standout was Dylan Baker. Um, he's probably, uh, apart from Sam, you know, I feel like everybody loves Sam. But apart from him, I feel like his performance was the best. You know, he had that unassuming, you know, white collar, you know, I'm just Mr. Rogers type of guy, you know, uh, Principal Skinner type of thing about him. And for him to be this psycho, He's you a serial know, killer. Yeah, there yeah. was a very, I don't want to say Norman Bates thing, but I mean, kind of, you know, like I said, this unassuming little nerdy guy who, you know, with a hobby. <laughs> He's Dexter. Yeah, he's a, he's a nerdy guy with a hobby. That bad guys. No. no. <laughs> but no, I just, I thought his performance was really great. And especially in particular, um, something relatable, I feel like. The frazzled parent. You know, you've got all of these plates juggling and you've got this kid in the back. Daddy. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to, he's trying to bury a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, you're going to come help me with the eyes? And the kid just kept saying it. Hello, Daddy. When are we going to carve the pumpkin? Daddy. Wish mom was still alive. Yeah. I, I love that part. I started to use that as my quote. So, right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I thought he was absolutely terrific. And Anna Paquin, um, she, I, I'm an Anna Paquin fan, obviously. Um, always sexy. She always brings that kind of innocent girl next door type thing. But then she, she can lay on the sex appeal so thick that it's, it's just, yeah. I don't know how else to word that. Um, let's see. I, Brian Cox is always good in whatever he's in. He's really good at being a crotchety old man. He really, really is. Um, yeah, I thought I thought everything was fine. Even the child actors did really good job. Um, I really enjoyed Rhonda. Um, I think that I mean because it's again it's kind of an age old story about the the weirdo that's getting picked on and stuff. Um, and we're all we're all we all feel that a little bit. Um, and I thought that she pulled that off extremely well. And I actually feel like they gave her, if, if I've got something to put in the dislike column, I actually think they did her character a disservice because I don't like how, you know, they use the R word to describe her and even calling her an idiot savant, I don't feel is fair because she's just a girl who has this love and admiration for the holiday and as someone who obsesses over things very easily, I don't necessarily 
think that that has to put you on the spectrum. So I well, wasn't a really big fan of that. Yeah, and like I, we talked about off mic, they didn't have to put a label on her at all. They didn't have to assign her any specific trait. Those other kids could have just said, she's weird. Right. And it still would have felt appropriate because kids do that. Right. <laughs> like, she's just a big weirdo. Um, but yeah, I think that's really the reason that I thought that that story, out of all of them, was, was kind of mean. Yeah. It was the meanest story. Yeah. But kids are mean. They are. They really are. <laughs> so I'm not saying it, that it wasn't probably realistic because kids say horrible shit to each other. Um, I'm just saying, you know, an adult wrote it and an adult didn't have to go there. Yeah. That being said, their performances in being that way, I thought were really good. That felt very natural and realistic and... You know, thought they pulled it off very well. There was something very Stephen King-esque about it. Kind of a Stand By Me vibe. Maybe. Group of kids on an adventure. Maybe I'm thinking The Hobbit. (laughs) We're going on an adventure. (laughs) No, I I think that the performances all around were were pretty good. You know, nothing nothing earth-shattering, but I thought, think for what it is, I thought they did great. There wasn't anyone where it was bad and it took you out of it. No, no. Um, I feel like Anna Paquin's friends were a little, eh, they were great, but they weren't bad. They were just, you know. They were just okay. Young girls. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, was there anybody else that just did a really good job? I, I think Sam did a great job. I he can't did. think of the kid's name. And I know he didn't have any speaking parts, but as far as just being a child in a suit and being creepy, he did great. He really did, yeah. So, really like that. Um, as far as score, nothing really stands out to me that way. I mean, I'm aware that they have one, and I, but it's not one that I found really memorable, I guess. It just felt, that to that end, it did feel a little generic creepy music. All the music that I've heard, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I heard all of it, or that I listened to all of it, uh, but in scenes where the music stood out to me, it was appropriate for whatever was happening on screen. It wasn't, it, it matched, I guess. Um, cause that, that's a big thing for me is that I, I either don't notice the music at all or when I do notice it, it's either because it's really good or because it's not appropriate to what's happening. It's kind of like the Halloween six thing. Was it five or six with the gumball cops? Five. Five. Six. Five. Six. Five. <laughs> five. I'm sorry. 47. <laughs> and you know, these cops come on screen and all of a sudden they're playing like circus music. Right. And I just, oh, I can't stand it. when You're never going to let that one go, I'm are you? I'm not going to let it go. I think you mentioned it last week. I did. <laughs> I want to mention it every week. It's October. It's appropriate for me to bring up Halloween in every episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, uh, the music needs to fit the tone. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think did it did in this that. One. Nothing yeah. stand out. There's no overarching theme that every time you hear it, you're going to go, that's Sam's theme or, you know, yeah. that's from Trick or Treat. But it was serviceable. I mean, when I think of, when I think of music from the film, I always think of Marilyn Manson cover of Sweet Dreams. So, you know, and I always associate it with the, the, the big werewolf massacre at the end. But that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and they were going to use a song called Fever, and I don't remember who wrote that song. I know what song it is. But... It, sweet, sweet dreams. I don't was a good, think was a good choice. I don't think that it would have had the same impact because it's more of a sexy kind of tap your foot, snap your fingers kind of thing. And yeah. I get what they were trying to go for when they had that thought um, with our with our female killers, but at the same time, I feel like it would have felt inappropriate a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was too much violence mm-hmm. happening on screen. Not. Yeah. Yeah. It it needed something that was intense enough to match what you're seeing. Not necessarily. In intense just faster paced yeah. maybe you know because you can use queen killing zombies and it still works and, and you that's... can but from a 
pacing standpoint, it matches what you're seeing. Right. I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. So, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. It it's was probably, fine. It's probably just okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think uh, we just barely lightly touched on cinematography. How did how did you feel about the look of the film? Because I, I thought it was just I, I fantastic. Have, I have no issues with the look. The um, lighting, the coloring, everything was top-notch. In particular, I liked the flashback scenes in the school bus episode. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the one where it shows the, the bus driving down a street, which could have been any street in Haddonfield, Illinois. And uh, they drive by Christine. Thought it looked good. Mm-hmm. It all looked good. Yeah, the lighting looked good. But you know what? Anytime you put, I guess, jack-o'-lanterns, you get that kind of warm, orangey light. And then everything is, is kind of dark around it. Or blues. It works. Yeah. Um, you get blues and oranges together on screen, and it, it looks good. So. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely thought it was fantastic. And one of my favorite transition shots, shots was um, Sam sitting and watching the werewolf massacre happen um, with his lollipop. And then his face transitions to the moon. And I thought that was really cool. There's there's a lot of stuff like that throughout. That It's, it's very seamless. And you don't, it's not necessarily put there to be, look how clever I am. It's just really, really organic. I, yeah. th- I thought it was cool. Yep. So... Are we are we wrapping up now? Is that where we're at? We're at number eight. <laughs> we're at number eight on the on list. On your list. <laughs> Quote, kill, and scene. Okay, do you want to start? I do want to start. Okay. That way I can say it first, and then you can't say I stole it from you. <laughs> so my favorite line, I have two. Okay. The first one is... Uh, when, uh, what's his name, Dylan, whatever, principal, when PC principal gets caught by the werewolves. Principal Wilkins. Yeah. And they and he, she asks, asks him what his name is, and he goes, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just watching him uh, use his fake vampire fangs to eat a woman, basically. Don't be dirty. Uh, <laughs> on the street, to don't be dirty. And before that, he's stabbing Thurman Merman's disembodied head. Right. And just the, I don't know, it was a complete shift in that character. And something about the way he delivers that, Steven, Steven Wilkins. Just mm-hmm. gets me every time. And then the other one is, you got to be fucking kidding me. Mm-hmm. When he sees the hand crawling across the floor. I yeah. love both of those. Okay. Uh, kill, favorite kill, is when Krieg shoots Sam. And I know it's not a kill, really, because Sam doesn't die. But in that moment, it looks like he's dead. And it's because it's so comical. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he's like, because Sam's chewing on his fucking leg. <laughs> Yeah. He's got his mask off and he's just like going to town on his leg and he's like, hey, and shoots him with a shotgun. And then you go to that shot where you're looking, the, the camera's perpendicular to the hallway and you see Sam's like just sliding across the floor mm-hmm. up against the wall. It was just hilarious. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And it probably doesn't count because it wasn't really a, uh, a kill. <laughs> um, favorite scene, I also had two of those. So one is the werewolf bonfire. Overall, the lighting was good. I feel like it was, it was an intense scene. I like the werewolf transformations. I think the music added something to that. It's just overall, it's good. And okay. the other one that got me, and it's because it's just so fucking creepy, is when Sam is crawling around on the ceiling in Krieg's house. Because it's, I think it's one of those things that I may not have noticed it the first time I watched it. And then you see him like peeking his head down, mm-hmm. like from the top of the stairs, and then crawling around the corner. I hate it. I hate it in movies when they show <laughs> shit like that. Mm-hmm. Anything that crawls on the ceiling just creeps me out. It's not. It's unnatural. I don't like it. Okay. But I like it. All right. How about you? Uh, Favorite quote... It's stupid. It's silly. But uh, I, I love when Wilkins' kid goes, Charlie Brown's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. But well, that, kinda is. that line gets me. Um, let's see. Uh, and then obviously I gave a shout out to it stinks like a dead whore out here. <laughs> it, was a, it cracked me up too. Um, let's see. Favorite kill. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go with Principal Wilkins. I'm sorry. I, I know that it's 
I said a lot of people think it's the weakest. Um, but I, same thing. I love the intensity of the scene. I love the music choice used. Um, again, it's it's a very sexy scene. I was appreciative of that. Um, there was a shot, and, and actually Anna Paquin would go on to mirror her position in this scene um, in an episode of True Blood where she was mounting Bill and she throws her head back in the same way up toward the ceiling. And I thought, oh man, that reminds me of the shot out of True Blood. Um, so I love that. And so she was naked when she did that on True yes, Blood. Yes, yes. And I love her, my, 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 what big eyes you have. Um, it, it's great. Yeah, that's that's my favorite scene. I love the women ripping their skin off, particularly when the girl cuts down the other girl's back with her fingernail. It's and, like she's unzipping a dress. Yeah, and tears it away. I just thought that was really cool. And the aesthetic of the tattoo being right there. I just, I loved it. Like, my nipples are getting hard right now. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I love that scene so much. But I do also want to give a shout out. Um, there's a scene at the end of the school bus story where um, after the kid have been effectively dispatched you have the scene where Rhonda and Sam see each other and for a brief second they kind of acknowledge each other and she's they both look like they're walking by each other very solemnly maybe Sam isn't but Rhonda for sure is and I I love that little moody transition there so when that scene came on and you see them I expected them to walk towards each other and just pass by I mean I never got the impression that Sam was gonna hurt her right no she's got her pumpkin mm-hmm. she she's following all the rules mm-hmm. but they kind of go off in completely different directions because it has to show a wide shot to get them both in frame and i thought that was kind of an odd choice it's a cool shot though i agree that's a, that's a neat moment they just it, i don't know did that scene didn't play out exactly the way i thought it would and they made this film for me they should have done it the right way <laughs> and one more um i i like the scene of everything wrapping up at the end of the film too um the girls are they're driving off from their kill laughing in the car sam's getting ready to go kill the wife from the beginning Krieg's going back into his house after what he's just been through Rhonda's on her way home but we also have the scene of Wilkins's son sitting on the porch and I find it something so sad about it even though we know this child is purely and simply evil <laughs> him sitting on this on the porch of his house wearing his dad's clothes and his glasses or something so sad about that and I don't know why maybe it's because we know what happened to him but it's just sad you know itty bitty boy big clothes and you know covered in blood it's it's just kind of sad but it feels very melancholy yeah um and, and that that means that that scene that they open with with uh leslie bibb that means they actually kind of started in the middle of what happened that night mm-hmm. you're gonna let me do all my i don't yeah. interrupt you during quote kill scene well, mister well then cover all the information <laughs> um favorite scene werewolf masker yeah or i already did that oh my gosh i looked at my i looked at my thing wrong what happens when you copy my homework <laughs> i didn't copy your homework the brain you know uh anyway um so final thoughts i i love literally everything about this film i had very very few bitches so yeah it's it's a it's a see it if you haven't already seen it for sure. But uh, what did you love and what did you hate? I guess we need to be more specific. Is that part of our final thoughts? No, I forgot to write it on the list. <laughs> I guess that can be part of final thoughts. What did you love and what did you hate? Oh, I don't... You know what? There's really nothing I hated about this film. Okay. There's really not. I, I, I kind of like all of it. Okay. 
there, you know, obviously we talked about the things that, you know, probably we would do different. Um, but over, I don't feel like any of it did not ruin the film for me. Yeah. You know, stuff that I may have, I, I would change probably if it was me doing it. But uh, I, it's definitely a watch. Definitely a watch. Anybody that hasn't seen it needs to check it out. Uh, yeah. It's just a, it's it's not, it's not a serious movie. You're not going to learn anything from it or anything like that. But it's a, it's a popcorn movie, you know, just have, just put it on, have a good time, watch a good movie. To me, it's not just a love letter to horror because obviously there's all kinds of Easter eggs and in-jokes and references to not just horror films, but it's, it's a love letter to the season and to being a, a youth, you know, I, I think it... Like I said at the top of the episode, it's just encapsulates the season so perfectly. And I feel like in a way that nobody else has, not even Halloween. See, now you're bringing Halloween into it. <laughs> so, uh, Travis, Mary fucker kill, trick or treat. Uh, I don't know. It's not a kill for sure. I, no. I can I can immediately say that we're going to rule that one out. I don't know that it's Mary, though. It's good, but I probably only watch it in October, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's not one that I would think, you know, random weekend in June, like, hey, I want to watch Trick or Treat. So I guess it's just uh, an October booty call. Okay. Um, That's also my answer. It's a fuck for me also because it's not... It's not a film I keep in regular rotation. I would say if you're talking in terms of year, yeah, I watch it pretty regularly every every Halloween season. Um, but again, it's not one of those that, you know, it's not like Hellraiser that I put that on as my comfort film to go to bed. You know, it's, it's but it is one that because I usually only watch it the once yearly, my love for it is maintained. That's what I was just thinking. It stays fresh. Yeah. That way. Um, And I've noticed that typically for us, the ones that we, and by we, I mean you, watch all the time, nonstop, on repeat, year-round, are the ones that don't have a heavy holiday theme. Mm -hmm. Because, like, we we both like Halloween, the Halloween films. We really only watch them during spooky season. We don't watch them that much outside of that. I do. I do watch those outside of Halloween. Do you? Yeah. I haven't seen you do it. I haven't lately, but... (laughs) Um, I admittedly in the last few months, I really haven't been watching many films at all. So, but outside of that, no, I was, you know, I was absolutely obsessed with David Gordon Green's trilogy. And so I had been watching that a lot, particularly Halloween ends. You were watching Corey. I was watching, I was watching Corey, um, (laughs) but London loved that movie too. So that was one that we watched a lot together. Um, but yeah, it, it's. The way I talk about, I can't imagine never watching a film again. Kind of by the same logic, I can't imagine not watching it at Halloween time. So right. it's it's definitely a staple for me at this point. Just not just not a Mary. I'm not there yet. It's not a unicorn film for me. Yeah. So maybe it's like Season of the Witch because Season of the Witch is not one that we really watch outside of. Well, maybe you do. I do. It's such a heavy Halloween theme, though. Mm-hmm. Like it's so much so specific about the season that for me it would feel weird to watch it outside of that season yeah um i don't think it does i think it's just when you watch it during the actual season it just enhances everything yeah maybe maybe but i i'm I'm a big believer in the you know watch it when it's time to watch it and i don't i don't watch them all the time so that's why you're not a true horror fan yeah i guess (laughs) guess. but let's be honest the halloween films they may have halloween in the title but they're really not about halloween (laughs) so 
Yeah. They're about Michael Myers. Yeah. All right. So next week we are going to be repeating this and we're going to be talking about another anthology and we're going to be doing All Hallows Eve, the nice. first appearance of Art the Clown. Nice. So, I'm ready for that. Not David Howard Thornton, sadly, but still. It was still good. Still the the clown himself. So, yeah, I'm excited for that one. That's another one that I, I feel like maybe not on the same level as Trick or Treat, but it's still one that comes from somebody who appreciates, you know, the finer things in life, like gore. Like blood on the <laughs> ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, so uh, something I asked Travis for us to do on this on the show for this month was we should talk about a happy Halloween memory we have every episode. So he was like, well, <laughs> he didn't really know of many because he he spent a lot of Halloweens at work. Yeah. Um, and me with the kids. But there that being said, it doesn't mean he wasn't there for any of them. I remember one. So I compiled a list. Well, you'll have to tell me and I'll write it on the list. Okay. But for this first one, this <laughs> this first episode, um, I wanted to talk about Aiden's second Halloween. So if you are a Texas native, you know that we rarely ever get an actual autumn. Um, I think Aiden's first Halloween, it was legitimate. 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 <laughs> Don't it, jimmy me, Jules. <laughs> it was legitimately cold and rainy that year, back in 06. Um, but the following year, it was back to being over 100 degrees outside that Halloween. And I was a horrible, horrible person. And I, Aiden was Elmo that year. And he, and it was sleeveless, but it was still made out of this shag carpet type material very very fuzzy and i think i had like a red long sleeve shirt and red sweatpants on him and that poor little boy just i mean we didn't take him out for hours on end and but the problem was because he was little he was a toddler we had to take him out earlier than everybody else so it was still hot as hell outside and this poor little baby his the skin of his face matched the rest of his outfit <laughs> He, that poor little boy was boiling in his suit. He was walking around town wearing shag carpets. Yeah, it's 100 degrees outside. I need you to wear this stuffed animal. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, happy memory from us to you. But uh, we'll see you next week with All Hallows Eve. Until then, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash dead and Married to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Llama, on YouTube. Check us out on X and Instagram at SpookyMom83 and TravisL80, respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing, and thank you again for your support.